Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We've been studying through the book of Galatians for the last several months, and we're finishing it up this morning. Next Sunday, we're going to start into a study in the book of Philippians. We'll spend some time in Philippians, probably my favorite book of the Bible. And the book of Philippians is a book about joy, how to have joy despite circumstances, despite people, despite limitations that we have, despite not having as much as we would like to have, all those things. Through it all, Paul comes through with an explanation of joy and rejoicing. It's a happy book. To me, that's a great thing. We all need that. But it's kind of appropriate as we are winding down our existence in this facility and looking forward to moving into our our new building that the Lord's providing for us. To me, there's no better way than to go into a move like that, studying joy and seeing what God has for us. So beginning next Sunday, we'll start plotting our way through Philippians. But here we are, the last three verses of Galatians chapter 6 this week. And There's a lot in here, and it's important. The book of Galatians has been a huge help because Galatians, in this letter, Paul explains basically what the Christian life is all about. And he does that in the context of some people who were trying to turn Christianity into a religion. Those who would say, in order to be a Christian, yes, you accept Jesus Christ, you acknowledge his work on the cross, but at the same time, you also need to become more Jewish. You need to follow the rules. You need to adhere to a, a way of life that says, here are the do's and here are the don'ts. Here's how you can be better. It's by improving yourself. Really, that's all that religion is, ultimately, is man's attempt to get to God by fixing ourselves. That's what they were promoting there in the area of Galatia, up in present-day Turkey. These were Gentiles, primarily, who had become Christians, and the Jews came in and said, boy, have we got a deal for you. You're a a, um, Christian now, but it's also time to get circumcised. And it's time to start to obey all of the restrictions and regulations of the law. And Paul put his foot down in the book of Galatians and said, no, this is different. It's not a religion at all. Religion will always frustrate you. This is good news. It's the gospel. It's it's what Jesus did. He died for you. He took his sins upon himself. And he can forgive you. He rose from the dead, proving victory over death. And he said... What we are seeing in Christianity is something that's different than anything that's come before it. Because God wants to relate to you on the basis of what he has done, not on the basis of what you have done. And it's a relationship whereby the Spirit of God works in your heart and helps you to be who you could never be on your own. He has a better plan for you and he wants to change you from within. And so Paul, in laying all of this out, and we saw the last couple weeks how he talks about the cross and says, if I'm going to brag about anything, it's not going to be how holy I am. I'm going to brag about the cross of Jesus Christ. I'll brag about what he did for me, and I'll boast in that. But other than that, hey, it's not about me except for what God has done for me. It's not about what I do. I'm not religious. I don't want to try to accomplish 
What I want to do is see what he has accomplished and live in the light of that work of the Holy Spirit in my life, responding to what God has done for me. And so now he wraps the book up in the last three verses. Here, Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. He says, And as many as walk according to this rule, the rule he's talking about is the gospel, the cross. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Verse 16, I have to explain one thing in there because he says, hey, everybody, I'm talking to everyone who is living by this rule, everyone who understands what the gospel is. But then he also says, and also to the Israel of God. Now remember, in those days, initially, most of the first Christians were Jews. And they already knew Judaism, and now they were responding to Jesus Christ. And it naturally flowed forth from their Judaism. But now, more and more, there were Gentiles who were accepting Jesus Christ. And so Paul addresses himself, and in kind of a backhanded way, addresses those legalistic Judaizers who were trying to make the Gentiles become Jews. And he says, look, the gospel applies to everyone who wants to live by this rule, but also to the Israel of God. That is, to those Jewish people who truly have responded to the gospel. Those Jewish people who really do get it when it comes to here's what the good news is, and here's what the cross means. They're going to get saved the same way that everyone else does. They aren't, in a sense, they are two distinct categories because God has made promises to Israel that he will always keep. And yet he's saying, look, this is, the door is wide open to anyone who responds to this message. And just because you're a Jew doesn't mean that you're automatically covered. That same door that everyone else passes through, the Israel of God needs to pass through too. And so here it is, the cross, the gospel, the great news that you're covered, that he's taken care of you. Now in verse 16, he says two things really about those who get it. First of all, he says you have peace. And then secondly, mercy upon you. It's a declaration that Paul makes. That here's what happens when you understand the gospel. Here's what happens when you live in the light of the gospel. The first thing, obvious thing, is peace. Peace is something that we all want, and yet so often it's so hard to experience. It's so hard to really get it. You know, peace is when there's no pressure on you, no burden on you, no expectation of you. And that's exactly what God does for us when we understand the good news of the gospel. I don't know when was the last time that you had a peaceful day. Imagine a day, and maybe you can't even remember when this was the case, or maybe the last time it happened was about your fifth day of sixth day of vacation. But imagine waking up and realizing, you know what? I don't have anything that I need to do today. Nothing that anyone is expecting of me, no one I have to see, no place I have to go, nothing that I need to accomplish. I am just free. 
Well, that's kind of what he's getting a handle on here. Realizing that the pressure is off and that it's not depending on or counting on you. Now, that kind of peace for a believer comes kind of in two stages. First of all, the Bible talks about peace with God. The thing that makes us at unrest is realizing that we aren't right with God. Before we accept Jesus Christ, there's a huge wall that stands between me and God. And what all of religion is trying to do is to get around that wall, to get under it, to run through it, or to climb over it. What can I do to get to God? That's the question of religion. And people do all sorts of complicated and crazy things trying to get to God. But the message of the gospel is that God did something to get to you. And he knocked that wall down. That veil that was in the temple that separated people from that holy place where the glory of God dwelt, it was ripped in half. And the author of Hebrews says, now I can come boldly before the throne of grace. And so when I understand where I stand with God, there's a peace with God. I don't have to do anything to make him like me. Most people will have certain expectations. There are certain games that you're going to have to play if you want people to play with you. But God doesn't do that. God sees us, and you know, we often talk about when people get saved, we talk about them accepting the Lord. And that's good, and that's important, and the Bible says, as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. But there's a truth that's more important than me receiving him and accepting him, and that is that he accepts me. That God looks at me because of what his son did on the cross, and he says, I accept you. You are my beloved son. I'm pleased with you. He looks at me, and because of the cross, because of the rule of the cross, he can look at me, and he's not allowed to remember my sin against me. He looks at me, and what he sees is the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And when I understand that, there's an amazing peace with God. When I realize nothing can stand between me and my God, it's covered. That's great news that I have peace with God. But as I understand peace with God, then I come into the next phase of the peace of God. That's a peace that sometimes passes understanding. But that's just that sense of everything is okay. How do I know that? Because I'm accepted by him. Because I have peace with him, now I have the peace of God. Jesus told his disciples, I came that you would have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's a done deal. He's taken care of it. He's paid the price. You are forgiven if you've given your life to him. And as a result, where's the pressure coming from? Well, it's not coming from him. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So why are we so stressed why are we so anxious? Why is it that we allow the expectations that surround us to just submerge us and to destroy us? Because again, we lose sight of what the gospel means. And as we lose our awareness of the peace with God, we lose that peace of God, and now we're just a frazzled bundle of nerves. 
But what God wants us to do, and if we really understand this, we will start to experience it, this peace that even when it looks like things aren't going our way, we know it's okay. It's kind of like if you watch your favorite suspenseful movie or TV show. You know the star of the show isn't going to die. You know, this, it would have leaked out by now if this, you know, if in Rocky 12 or whatever, you know, that, that Sylvester Stallone's going to get knocked out and have a brain hemorrhage and, and die or become a vegetable. It's like, come on, we would have heard that. So the new Rocky movie comes out. You know he's going to get beat up. He, Stallone never looks better than when his face is swollen. But at the same time, you know in the end, he's going to be okay. You're not worried for him. You're not going, oh, God, please help Rocky through this. It doesn't matter. If he fights a building, he's going to win, ultimately. You know, and this, if you can believe a guy that old is out there fighting, well then you believe in George Foreman. <laughs> but grill in one hand, glove on the other, and he'll... You know, but the older we get, the more we want to believe it could actually happen. But the truth is, it's a story, and we know how it ends. But the reason that we can have peace is because it's a story, and we know how it ends. And we know he's going to win, and we know everything that happens is going to work for good. And sometimes we observe our lives and we're so stressed out that it's like we don't realize the end of the story. That we are like a little kid who's watching, you know, Batman and is scared to death that Batman and Robin are going to die. And we're older and we go, don't worry, Batman and Robin, they never die. <laughs> if they die, it'll be a dream sequence or a trick or something. They'll be back. They want to make more movies. And that's the assurance that comes from maturity where we go, you know what, I know where this story ends. And I'm not going to stress out about what's going on right now because God is in control. And more than that, it doesn't depend on me anyway. If you worrying would help the situation, I would say, by all means, go ahead and worry. But it's not going to help. And I promise you, you are not the solution to your problems and understanding that is the gospel. And understanding that is good news. And it gives peace. Now, he also says not only does that give peace, but he says peace and mercy. There's nothing, if the gospel is, isn't about mercy, it's not about anything. <laughs> it's understanding God doesn't give us what we deserve. He protects us from the consequences of our own actions. We deserve to die and he says, you're not going to die. Now, if we really have peace with God and peace of God, then mercy, naturally, you recognize not only that it comes to you, but it's something that you should give to others as well. Mercy has two sides. Once I have received God's mercy, now I want to extend his mercy as well. And it's it follows logically from the gospel. God doesn't say, look, I died for you. Now you've got to get out there and show mercy to other people. All he says is, however you want mercy, just show mercy that way. You'll be treated the way you treat. <laughs> and we go, wow, God has been so good to me. He has loved me. He has showered his mercy on me. So many times he should have destroyed me and he never did. A natural response to that is, I want to let other people in on the mercy. 
I want to let other people be on the receiving end too because we receive mercy from God, but a lot of times we feel it the most when it comes from people, when it comes in a tangible form. And again, that's a natural outflowing of the cross, a natural outflowing of saying, religion, I'm going to push it aside. What I want is a relationship. Well, one of the things that jumps forth from that kind of relationship is mercy. As God shows us mercy and as we extend mercy, there's a reciprocal sort of just realizing that we're all in this together. And so if you're living by the rule of the fresh start, if you're living by the rule of the cross, if you're living by the rule of the gospel, there's going to be a peace that sets in and there's going to be a mercy that flows forth and that comes to you as well. Receiving, I don't know which is harder, showing mercy or receiving mercy. But to show or receive mercy, you have to get over that hurdle of thinking that it's about you, thinking that you can do this. But once you realize you can't do it, all of a sudden, wow, now I can receive mercy. It's okay. Before that, I don't want mercy. I don't want a break. You know, I, give me what I work for. I earn it. But the cross teaches us, just let go. You don't need to do that. There's not a game that you need to win. This isn't some sort of a contest. The strongest isn't the one who survives here. It's the weakest that survives because it's the weakest that looks to the cross and says, boy, do I need that. Boy, do I need what Jesus did for me there. And when that happens, his mercy comes in like a flood. I begin to show his mercy as a response. As a result, my life takes on a quality of peace that I never thought I could have. Because I try to have peace, and the stronger I try to have peace, the less peace I really experience. So, peace and mercy. And now as we come to verse 17, this is one that's kind of a funny thing to throw in here in a way, but it teaches us a really important truth about this Christian life also. When Paul said, from now on, let no one trouble me, quit bugging me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Hmm. Now, Paul had plenty of marks, scars in his body, endured a lot. The book of 2 Corinthians, he goes through and just lists all of the, like over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we don't have time to turn over there, but he lists how many times he was beaten, how many times he was stoned, left for dead, in shipwreck, spending nights out floating around in the sea, and boy, he just describes it was a tough life. Earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he goes through a similar kind of litany. But in the beginning of 2 Corinthians in first chapter around the fifth verse, he talks about how his sufferings, our sufferings, are connected to Jesus. And in Colossians, he makes this amazing statement that says when we suffer, we are filling up, in some respect, the sufferings of the Lord. Now, I don't completely understand what that means. I'll just tell you that straight out. But what I know from that, well, I know what it is, and it doesn't mean that when we suffer, it makes up for what Jesus didn't suffer enough. That's not what it's about, certainly, because when he said it is finished, our sins were paid for. They were all on him. That's what the gospel is. But in some way, Paul discovered that through our sufferings and in our scars, we actually find meaning and significance 
in a way that we couldn't otherwise. And so he says, look at my scars, man. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. These things that I considered to be hurt, and they were done by people who were evil, they're the marks of the Lord Jesus. There's an identification with him. Remember when Paul first met Jesus, and Paul was going out to persecute Christians, and you remember the question that Jesus asked him as he knocked him off of his his uh, horse there as he was on his way to go up to Syria. He said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? (laughs) I'm not persecuting you. Jesus said, yeah, when you persecute my people, you're persecuting me. Do I understand that? No. But Paul somehow understood, and, and I get a glimpse of it as I reflect on this a little bit. What this tells me is what you suffer and what I suffer, the scars that we bear, they have meaning. They do something to connect us with the Lord. Life hurts. It does. And walking with him is not just a bed of roses. Just because he's taken care of everything doesn't mean that along the path we're not going to get beat up. This kind of him saying this made me think of that old... um, what lethal weapon movie where Mel Gibson and Rene Russo, two old veteran cops, are, are showing each other all the scars that they have. Look at this bullet wound here. Yeah, well, this was a knife that went through right here. And it's kind of like you get the picture of Paul going, yeah, look at this one, stoning three years ago. Yep, see this? Look what happened here. Look at this injury. And, you know, we all kind of do that, you know, you have a scar, it's kind of, you're kind of bummed, but at the same time, it's something, yep, there's a story behind that one, let me tell you what happened there. I have a lot of aches and pains and scars, and I have a good story for most of them. Some of the story's true, some of them get better over the years, I don't know, but... When I think of scars for the Lord, though, suffering for the Lord, I think of the time when I was playing football with the kids over at Calvary, and staff was playing a football game against the students, and I was defending on a pass. Justin Wheeler was coming out, did a down and in, and I was wearing glasses at the time because the Santa Ana wins that day, and we both jumped up for the pass, and I broke up the pass, but the next thing I know, Justin and I were both in the ambulance going to the hospital because we hit heads right on my glasses. The glasses broke and cut both of us, and you know I was just gushing forth blood from my eye, and Justin was gushing blood from his eye, and we got to sit there in the emergency room together, had a great time of fellowship, and, you know, but it was, it left a scar that you could go, yeah, I could see that. I have all kinds of other scars from before I was a Christian, certainly as a kid growing up and different things, and they all have their memories. The only other one that's good that was connected to ministry is I was speaking at a youth uh, snow camp one time and went down a toboggan and fell off and broke my leg, and uh, my leg was kind of swollen, but I had a basketball game that night, so I played basketball hobbling around and never really got the leg taken care of, and so it sticks out a couple inches from what it should, and every time I get in cold weather, I feel it, and it's just like, yep, boy, those were the days, man, being a youth pastor, <laughs> that was fun. But the truth is, and you have your scars too, but the truth is most of our scars aren't things that show. The things, the physical hurts and pains that we get, you get over those actually a lot easier than many of the other hurts and pains that are in your life. 
And each one of us has a unique story of things that we have gone through that, that took something from us, that hurt us in a serious way, that sometimes maybe we feel like I'm never going to completely get over that. For some of you, it was your life before you came to the Lord and you really messed your life up bad. Some of you are old enough that you probably don't remember the 60s, not because it's so long ago, but because you spent those years as an art major in college getting loaded and just destroying, frying some of the cells of your brain. And you just go, man, you know, I probably could have cured cancer by now if I hadn't done all those drugs and how I wish I could do it differently. But, you know, God used that to bring you to himself. And so some of those damages that happened in your life, some of you dealt with broken relationships and hurts and big mistakes that you've gone through in your lives. Did you ever look at those as scars? As You know, Jesus, remember when he came and showed up after his resurrection to the disciples? How did he identify himself? He came into the room and he didn't say, look, I'm really Jesus, watch this. You got some water? I'll change it to wine. Anybody a little sick? Poof. You're going to be healed. But what Jesus used for ID purposes, the holes in his hands from the nails and in his feet, the open, gaping wound in his side from the soldier's sword as he thrust it into Jesus' side and, and out of his heart flowed forth a mixture of water and blood. Jesus goes, you want to see who I am? Check out these scars. Have you ever thought about the fact that some of those scars that you have are your identification? It's what makes you who you are. It's what has, God has used to actually develop you to where you are. Maybe you think that those things are what's just about destroyed you. But God, like when, when the Lord talked to, to Paul after Paul was struggling with his thorn in the flesh and he goes, you know what, I'm not gonna take this one away from you. Because see, when you're weak, I'm strong. I can do things more when you can't do things than if you could. So how many of those losses in your life, how many of those hurts and pains and scars are actually things that God allowed to come on you because it would develop you into who he wanted you to be? And those are scars that you can look at, and though, though painful, you can say, you know what, quit bugging me. I've paid my dues. I've gone through things. I've suffered things. And as a result, somehow, I know that I identify with Jesus in a way that I couldn't otherwise. I know that I'm understanding the gospel in a way that I couldn't otherwise. The older you get, the more things and people that you lose. You know, it starts out just losing your keys but gradually, you start losing your hair, start losing your mind. It's, things are falling away, and then you're friends. And each time there's a significant loss, I think there's a part of you that never gets over it. You think of the people who have been close to you that now aren't a part of your life anymore. And some of them, because they've left this earth and they've gone on to be with the Lord, some of the greatest scars that I had from years of serving the Lord didn't come from football injuries or, or tobogganing injuries. They came from saying goodbye to some little kid that I loved who the Lord took on to, to heaven. 
And every one of them, I, I, can, I can go through the list from, you know, David Morales was one of the first ones, Aaron Benitez, so many different kids, Rebecca Lewis, others. And each time it happened, you do the best you can, you, you move on, you continue to live, but at the same time, there's a part of you that died. There's a part of you that's like, you know, I'm never going to quite get over this injury. The other day I was driving over in Newport Beach, and I saw the area of there by near Fashion Island where a little girl that I love very much, Yvette Riley, in a car riding with her dad, his hot rod, and it lost control and hit the curb and flipped over, and she was with the Lord. And he was suffering immensely. And, you know, I, I looked at that spot, and I just, it was like it was happening all over again. In fact, I remembered going there that next day and with a friend of mine and getting down on our hands and knees and scrubbing the tire marks off the curb so that when the parents came there, they wouldn't have to see that. And the curb's clean, but there's a part of you that's just like, I don't, you know, you just don't get over it. Life hurts. It's painful. And those pains continue. But we have a choice what we're going to do with those. We can either say, somehow this is connected to the cross. Somehow this has meaning. Somehow good comes from this. And this isn't an extra burden on me. I, I give it to him. And you either do that or you let it tear you up. You let it destroy you. You get bitter and unforgiving. You just... Spend your whole life looking backwards. I heard someone say this last week that, that bitterness and unforgiveness is really a way of hoping that the past is going to change. The past isn't going to change. And you can spend your life hoping that it will, wishing it didn't happen, or you can move forward and go, you know what? Life hurts. I'm picking up scars along the way, but I serve a Lord who understands exactly how that feels because he took on himself, he took the wounds, he took the scars, he took the nails for me, and he understands what I'm going through like no one else ever will. And that's Paul as he's explaining it. He's going, Look, guys, I'm telling you it's not about you. I'm telling you it's not easy. It's not about trying to be good. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he did on the cross. But he says, by the way, I know what it feels like to hurt. I have the scars in my body that show. I've done. I've paid my dues. But I'm telling you, he's the one who really paid my dues. He's the one who did it. He's the one who died for me. And my pain lets me connect with him in a way that I couldn't otherwise. And I wouldn't trade it. In fact, I brag about it, he says. Because I am crucified, as we saw earlier in the book, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. There's this connection that comes with him that comes through pain. And Paul didn't want to close the book off without acknowledging that. Finally, in verse 18, he finishes by saying, Brethren, a family term, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. He goes, guys, it's grace. That's what it comes down to. 
That's what the cross means. That's what salvation is. It's his grace for us. Remember, as I mentioned earlier, Paul with his thorn in the flesh, crying out, God, deliver me from this thorn in the flesh. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. As I said earlier in our study of this book months ago, the word, the Greek word for grace is charis. That word contributed to a Latin word that contributed to a French word that contributed to the English word caress. Comes from the same root. We can give a broad theological definition to grace, but I really like just jumping to that application and saying what grace is, is it's God's caress. It's his hug of you. It's him saying, I want to be close to you. Despite what you've done, despite the fact that you don't deserve it, despite your inability to ever perform in a way that would be up to my standards, because of what my son did for you on the cross, I want to be close to you. I want to hold you. And that's how Paul saw ultimately this whole thing coming down to. On the one hand, religion. That's what you want to do, fine. But standing there alone at the, at the foot of the cross is something much better. The caress of God, the grace of God, him saying, I get to treat you the way that I treat my son because of what he did for you. You've identified with me, and I'm gonna hold you close to myself. And I don't want to trade God's caress for all of the religious trappings of the world. If I was able to really impress people with my brilliance and, and perform in a way that would bring crowds of millions just screaming and being, oh, who wants that? Who wants to just do something that impresses people when I can have the peace that comes from being held by the God who made me, the God who loves me? And that's what the cross does. That's what real relationship is about. And that's why instead of giving you a list of rules of things to do, he instead gives you a picture of what he has done. And he says, now, can we have a relationship? Can my spirit live in you? Can I change you from within? Could you get out of the way and let me do that? There's nothing better than to sense God doing things in your life and you didn't even try to. You might be trying to get him not to. And yet you see that work of the Spirit and you go, this is so much better of a plan than if I strive and make it happen. There will always be a lot of very religious people in this world until the Lord comes back. And then it'll get more religious than ever because there'll just be one religion that everyone partakes in. But ultimately, it's going to come down to a guy on a cross who said, this is how much I love you, as he, as he spread his hands out and was nailed to the cross. And he goes, can we just have a relationship? Can you get to know me and I'll get to know you? Can we spend time together? Can, can my spirit live in you? And that's his invitation to us that we call good news. That's the meaning of the cross. And it so far surpasses anything that anyone has ever cooked up to try to praise him or serve him or be of value to him. 
It's relationship. And that's how Paul closes the book. Do you want that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with your spirit? To always be there in you, working in you according to whatever he wants. If you do that, mercy, peace, significance in your suffering, scars that you can brag about, a God who you know. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for the cross. What you did for us there. And then the fact that you didn't say, okay, now pay me back. But you said you can't do anything. Just receive. And so, Lord, we desire to receive that work of the Spirit as we enter into that glorious relationship with you. Thanks for what you've done, and thank you that you told us we don't need to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to partake in communion here in a moment, and it's the picture of what we've been talking about. But before we do, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, maybe you've heard the gospel a bunch of times, but it's starting to sink in and hit you, this would be an awesome time to just in your own heart say, God, I want you to work. I believe in what you did for me on the cross. I believe you're alive today. And Lord, I want you to start doing for me. I've tried to do for you. It doesn't work. I've tried to be good. That doesn't help. But God, I want you to begin to work in my life. And if you want to do that, just tell him that right now in your own heart or as we're partaking communion, and you'll have a fresh start. It'll be the best decision that you've ever made in your life. But don't hear the good news and then go, not for me. Don't go through the motions and then go, nah, I'm not religious. I'm not religious either. Again, that's not what it's about at all. It's letting him do what he wants to do for you. I know some of you have a lot of hurts. You come in here bearing a lot of scars. Some of you have experienced great loss in your life. And in different areas, whether business or family or friends or physical problems that you've had, whatever, don't let it be for nothing. Understand, those are the marks of God working in your life to show you who you really are, to make you into who he wants you to be. Let him do that work. And this morning, just tell him it's okay. You do your work, God. I'll let you do that for me. And if you do that, God will start to do amazing things in your life. But don't go through today and not get right with him. Getting right with him, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to fill out a card. You don't even have to pray a prayer, really, or anything fancy. All you have to do is let him know in your heart, I want it to be about you instead of about me. When you do that, He'll start to work in a glorious way. Communion is, well, they're the emblems, the symbols of the body and blood of our Lord. It's to remind us in a very physical way as we take that into us. It's to remind us of how much he loved us. It's to remind us that it's all about him and his sacrifice for us.
that gives us a fresh start. And as we partake of his pain in taking the elements of communion and being reminded of his broken body and of his shed blood, it's us saying, yeah, this is what I want. I want you to work in me. I want to have a relationship with you. And I will identify with your pain and your suffering. When you died, I died. And the life that I have is just the life that you've given me. As the men come forward to pass out the elements, hang on to your bread and your cup until we all have them, and then we'll partake together. 